0: Employment and work are part of people's lives. Not only is it a means for getting money, paying for necessities, and building financial security, it gives us meaning, structure, and let's be honest, we spend a lot of time there. Even in recovery, employment is strongly emphasized. You need to get a job, and that's something that we're gonna talk about in today's episode. With James W. Schreier, management consultant, joins this episode to talk about what people with substance use history and in recovery can do to help with the challenges posed in a job interview. Welcome everyone to Talking Addiction and Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Andrew J. Schreier, and we are joined today by James W. Schreier. And if you didn't catch the last name, it is the same as mine. So yes, I have a special guest who is my father, a.k.a. The Train Man. Thanks for joining, Dad. Yeah, You're welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah, out of all the years of us working together, and it's been a lot of years since I was very young, you've always been the one to introduce me.
1: Yes, I have. And, Many times. Yeah, so whether
0: it's front in front of um, you know, introducing me to new people, to, to large audiences that we've been a part of over the years, you've always been the one to introduce me, so now I get to introduce you to to my audience of listeners nice change (laughs) yeah so you uh have a phd and sphr of a management consultant specializing in management and leadership training organizational development strategic exploration and planning and organizational culture assessment and change you hold a bachelor's degree in marketing and human resources an mba and a Ph.D. in education, all from Marquette University here in Wisconsin. You are a lifetime certified as a senior professional in human resource management. And there is a ton in there. That's just sort of scratching the surface.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> a sign of age more than anything.
0: <laughs> and one of the, the reasons of having you on, I mean, there's a ton of topics we could talk about. And one of the big ones though is with job searching, job hiring when it comes to addiction recovery. And I've worked for a lot of places where it's important to get a job. You get into a treatment program, you're only there for maybe 60 days and they tell you you gotta have a job in two weeks or you might not be able to stay there anymore. I've worked with people who have like an incarceration history They've been in prison for two or three years. They get out, and part of it is, we'll go get a job. I've also worked with people who, because of their substance use, they've struggled with keeping a job. They've worked for a month here, two months there, but their using becomes too much to handle. They get fired, or they quit, because it's just, it be, life becomes unmanageable. So, part of what is special with having you on, not just because of your background with with hiring and leadership and management, but you've also actually spent a lot of time focusing on workforce and substance use. Yes, I have. So can you tell us just a little bit about that connection between the the workforce and why focus so much on substance use?
1: Well, that's an interesting story, and I'm gonna try and keep my answer relatively short to this. I ended up serving in the Army after I had my bachelor's degree in human resources. And I ended up in a position, I was trained as a military policeman. I didn't serve in that capacity. I had an administrative position that I was given, fortunately. But I ended up seeing a rather interesting situation. And that was that there were a lot of problems with substance abuse in the military and what i discovered that kind of began to interest me is that a lot of basically young men in that era exclusively who had been to college were ending up being arrested for substance abuse problems and i started looking at well what's the problem and i found out that in some cases they had been placed into very boring jobs and I was on the flip side, I had a very interesting job. And so I came back from that experience and started work on my MBA and I started going, wait a minute, what's going on with this rising problem of substance abuse in the workplace? And it wasn't a new problem because it's been there for decades, but it was getting a lot more focus in that era and people were talking about it. So I started researching it. I started trying to figure out what's going on in the workplace that causes people to have substance abuse as part of their job. Uh, How are organizations handling that? Do they just automatically terminate somebody with an alcohol or substance abuse problem? Or do they have treatment? And (laughs) in the era where I started doing this, it was the origin of what we now refer to as employee assistance programs and stuff like that. right? So that's that's where it all started. And I just got very interested in it and wanted to help organizations do a better job of helping people, placing them in better jobs. So we didn't have these problems and it's it hasn't gone away. It's still out there. It's still a big problem.
0: Well, and way before the time too of now with the opioid epidemic and with mental health issues, and now you're starting to hear, well, what should employees do about mental health or what should employees do about someone who's got an opioid problem. But those were questions you were asking years and years ago Mm -hmm. and and now we're still seeing that it's becoming such a rising issue and, and now like, hey, this is to the point where we have to take a look at it. We need to, when it was something that should have been done years before on some of these levels.
1: Yep, absolutely. And in a lot of cases, unfortunately, organizations, because organizations have all the power. And because of that, organizations have, in my view, oftentimes too much power simply to avoid the problem, either by terminating somebody or making sure they don't hire somebody in the first place.
0: Yeah, Simple answers.
1: Simple <laughs> answers. Simple answers to a, to a major problem. And one of the things that you just said that I think is extremely important is that the problem has gotten bigger because we've added new problems. We've increased the gambling component. We've increased the, the, the mental health issue is critical. We've added the opioid dynamic to all of it. We've added greater acceptance of marijuana. And in some cases, organizations having to come up with all new policies on how they're going to address accepting marijuana, not in the workplace, but acknowledging that a large percentage of their employees or some percentage of their employees might be smoking marijuana.
0: And I think that's the thing you can't escape is that I think for the old way of looking at it was we could fire them or not hire them. But then when you look at the number of people who have a substance use disorder, the number of people who have mental health, the number of people who might gamble or even the number of people who might have a problem drinking, but they're not um, an alcoholic, that we can't rely on just not having any of these people work for us or be a part of the organization that we are likely going to have some employees who struggle with these issues or they're in recovery from these issues. We can't rely on the idea of nope, we're not gonna have any of those here.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and another another really interesting historical aspect and then we should get more on the current issues, but another really interesting historical point is that when I got started with all of this and for several years afterwards, drinking in the workplace was normal. Right. You your Christmas parties were nothing but alcohol-driven festivals and organizations over the years have had to wrestle with a lot of policy changes of saying well no you can't go out for lunch on a business call and have three drinks which used to be common right yeah so we've got a whole new look at a lot of things
0: and gambling too Mm because even gambling in the workplace with super bowl pools and that's still there uh, those those are still things that occur within the workplace and now trying to recognize that, you know, when we have employees that might have some issues with that, we need to be either more aware of it or we need to have resources for people available. So there's definitely a lot to go on this topic for sure. The, the one though that we were really going to talk about was this idea of I'm in recovery, I have a substance use issue, I've had a criminal background, I've had an incarceration history, my employment history looks pretty choppy. Some missing years, some what was going on between here and there. And now I need to find a job or look for a job. And, and that becomes a challenge for a lot of people when they enter treatment, when they're about to leave treatment, and so on and so forth. So one of the things that I wanted to do was ask you three questions that often get asked to me. And tell their counselors in our position because they, clients or patients might say, you know, well, I'm looking for a job. And then they'll ask questions about, well, what about this and what about that? And we want to give them a supportive answer and hope we can encourage them. But I think your perspective will help shine a light on some of the things they want to know. So the first question is Can a job or employer discriminate against you for having? substance use history, or like a criminal background?
1: The simple answer to that is no, they can't. That would be illegal discrimination. You cannot discriminate somebody based on a substance abuse history or a criminal past history. The more complicated answer goes back to something I already mentioned. Companies have the power. Companies can look at 100 resumes or scroll through 100 online applications and simply ignore somebody that they don't want to consider because they've got all the power. Um, so that that's creates one of the interesting challenges and why I think one of the main things in terms of helping someone that's in recovery approach that challenge of wanting to get a job is to how to make themselves look not only acceptable to a potential employer, but somebody that an employer would like to hire because that person is going to give them value.
0: Right. And that's a, I think part of it when, you know, the answer is no, they can't, but obviously there's ways that they can hire someone else or not hire you. Without telling you, well, I'm not hiring you because you have a drug history. Right. Like, they're not going to say that. No,
1: they're not going to say that. Uh,
0: but I think sometimes if someone, that's all they tell themselves. I'm going to get discriminated against because of this. It's very easy to to have that be like a continuous like letdown or to, to sell yourself short or to not even think there's other things why like to automatically think you didn't get the job because of that isn't always the truth either No, it's not and I know that's always a, a reason people tell me is well I didn't get the job because of my my incarceration history or that, but that might be what you are assuming or thinking, but that might not even be the the real case
1: absolutely one of the big one of the big places where that might be a case. And, and I'm sure that this would be one of the things you advise people on very carefully, is they can't lie about that. They can't hide that because that's what companies nowadays tend to do, background checks. So if you tell them, you have no, I have no history of substance abuse, yeah, those gaps on my employment are because of this, that, or the other thing. It has nothing to do with the fact that I was incarcerated. If that company does a background check, and most companies are going to do that nowadays, that's going to be
0: uncovered. And then you've given them the reason not to hire them. So that's a good question, because my number two question is to do or not to do. Do I be honest when it asks about some of these things, or do I lie about it and hope it squeaks by? Like, that's what gets asked a lot.
1: Absolutely do not lie about it.
0: <laughs> I know my re- my recovery answer is to practice rigorous honesty. Yes, and I know that comes from, like, the recovery side, you know, treatment side principles of if, if you're in recovery, we are working towards practicing rigorous honesty. Yeah, absolutely. Lying feeds addiction. A Lying feeds secrecy. And that's what we're not trying to do. But I, I know people get caught in that dilemma. If I tell them I was incarcerated, they're just going to tell me no right there and then. So do I lie about it in hope? I kind of squeak by but from your perspective someone that does this stuff job hiring you've worked with hiring managers your answer definitely is don't do that <laughs>
1: don't don't lie because here's here's the problem is this and this sit this fits so well with your understanding of addiction and recovery because if they lie and they get caught and get fired They've just created another problem for themselves down the road. And in addition to the fact that it's not helping their recovery. Right. So now they got to explain the next time they try and get a job as to why did you get fired from the last one? Well, because I lied. And again, if companies are calling and companies are doing background checks, that information gets discovered.
0: Right. Yeah. That. I don't, usually don't hear good answers when, when people tell me that they've lied about it, they, all that stuff. It, it usually comes out sooner or later. And that's what lying does. Like well, that, that's what happens. Is it short term? You might think you've gotten away with it, but sooner or later, it'll come out.
1: Well, and certainly in larger companies, maybe not the small company down the street, which might be a good source of, of jobs for, for some people in recovery, but in larger companies you may have you may have gotten a job let's let's say someone in recovery lies about their drug history their substance abuse history they get the job and they actually are a really good employee for six eight nine months and at the nine month mark it's discovered that they lied and they were in treatment the company under the rules that they have, under the policy they have, will terminate them not for substance abuse,
0: but because you lied. Because and, you lied
1: on your yeah, application yeah, form.
0: Yeah. So then you can't you can't cry discrimination because they're just going to say, "Well, you, you lied. lied," and lying is a grounds for.
1: And you signed yeah. on your application form
0: that you were honest. That you were <laughs> honest. <laughs> um. Now here's an interesting question that I haven't thought of until we started talking more before recording this was another question I get a lot is I got the job do I tell them that I'm in treatment or that I'm going to counseling because I know a lot of people who've worked for jobs even for years and they don't know that they're in treatment Mm -hmm. they don't know that they've been in treatment for years they don't know they've gone to counseling or doing anything like that is that something to share with an employer that you go to treatment or that you are seeking like some services for these issues? Mm-hmm.
1: That's, a, that's a very good question and it's, it's kind of a tough one. I'm assuming that it is not something that came up as part of the hiring process.
0: Probably so not this- because it, cause they might <clears throat> ask about like a criminal background or incarceration, but they're, they're probably not asking about, do you go to therapy or do you go to treatment? so you can say you can avoid answering that one Mm -hmm. but then now i'm at a see what happens is some people then are going to treatment but then sometimes they have to go to counseling so they might have to like leave work they might have to go somewhere and now they start making up reasons why they have to leave or why they can't go so you know what do i tell my boss about treatment or even counseling
1: I think there's probably three possibilities there. Um, The one that I will admit exists, but I don't like, is not to say anything about it. Because you've got, as an employee, you have the ability to uh, take time off, family medical leave, all the options you have to take time off for treatment. So you can do that probably without easy... The second thing I think is, is if somebody's been in the job for a while and doing well, I think that's probably a conversation that you can have with your manager and share that. Because your manager is the one who knows you best, knows you're doing a good job. And you can now have a decent relationship with somebody the third possibility, but it may be something that exists only in medium to larger size organization, is if the organization has an employee assistance program, that's where there are going to be counselors who are available to employees who can help someone, and, or someone in human resources that, that's qualified, where you can go to them and say, oh, by the way, you know, I've been here for a year now. I need to do some treatment things mm-hmm. and share that. And I think we have, we have a much better attitude. It's not perfect, but we have a much better <laughs> attitude towards all of these issues today than we had even 20 years ago, much less 40 years ago. And organizations are realizing, particularly with the focus that's come up in the last couple of years on mental health, and this is all part of it, right? that companies are much less likely to quickly react to something like that and say, this is bad.
0: Right. I remember the, a story that I, I'm pretty sure I've told it in some episodes. I'm not sure when it might have. It's probably an earlier episode, but it... the I'm reminded of this because I had a, I had a client who, this was at residential, so he lived there and for 90 days. He lived there. And he did get a job, and he still wasn't getting out for like two more months. So he worked third shift, and he would tell me the story of he would go to work, and after third shift, a lot of the coworkers would um, say, Hey, let's go to the bar and get breakfast and, and have drinks. Um, one typical of third shift Two, that. That happens also here in Wisconsin sometimes where that's like what some people do. So he was telling me that every time that they would ask, he would come up with excuses. He'd make up lies about why he couldn't. But after a while he was like, I'm running out. Like I can't lie all the time of what I'm doing and we were talking about like what to tell them we practiced assertiveness skills so we were talking about what how to handle this then all of a sudden he we have a session again and I he told me that they asked him again and he lied and he goes but he goes my my manager came up to me and my manager said hey I notice you don't ever go with the guy's to get some food or go to the bar. Um, You never do that. And he took a chance. He he told his boss that he is actually um, at treatment right now. He's an alcoholic, he's sober, Mm -hmm. he goes to meetings and he's working with a sponsor, but that's why he doesn't go to the bar. And worrying that that's gonna be like a terrible thing to tell his boss, his boss goes, I'm in recovery too. And they started going out to breakfast instead that was at a different setting that wasn't a bar, that was more their, their environment. So those are great stories, but those are hard to just be like, well, yes, tell everyone or tell the place what's going on. So part of it is I tell people, like, reach out to the resources at your job, but also find those opportunities where there's a chance to to let someone know that or to share your story and you'd be surprised at what people say. If
1: you look at, and you're the the expert on this in terms of statistics, but if you look at the percentage of people that have problems with alcohol and substances, the percentage of people that have mental health issues, the percentage of people that, that maybe have problem gambling issues, these things are a lot more common. Right. And what you just illustrated is something that i think i would want to pass along to other people in recovery that are looking for a job is there are stories there are examples of people handling these things successfully it takes a little honesty it takes a little assertiveness right but you're going you if you want to succeed it we're really talking about an underlying aspect about attitude <laughs> And you've got to have a positive attitude to be willing to take the risks to do that because recovery is a risk.
0: Right. The the fourth question I have is actually more towards like organizations and companies as opposed to what clients and patients ask about stuff. So my question is, why should a company or an organization even if they see someone with a criminal background or someone talks about their being in recovery, their substance use history, why should a company or a manager hire someone with that? Because normally we think red flag, red flag, this this, this isn't going to be good, but why should they look in a different direction with that?
1: Because that person can demonstrate the attitude or I'd say the strengths that will be a value to that company. And I'll give you an excellent example of this. And to this day, I wish I had this young man's name, but I don't think they were going to let me have it. I did a project not that long ago for one of our local county's sheriff's departments and it was a project on hiring correctional officers. Mm. So I spent a lot of time visiting the correctional facilities in the area and talking to correctional officers on the job because I wanted to talk to the most successful correctional officers to find out how to hire more like that. One morning I was touring the facility at breakfast time, and we were watching them preparing to get all these meals out to all the different pods in the facility. And there was a young man who was obviously an inmate working. This young man showed more hustle than any other person working in that entire area. And I finally looked at the commander who was escorting me around, and I said, can I talk to that young man? And he said, sure. And he went over and stopped him and brought him over. And I talked to him for about 10 minutes. I said, i got to ask you a question. I said, you're demonstrating an attitude here and hustle about this job. I'd recommend you to any company I could think of. And, he, and I said, Why? And he says, because I want to make sure when I get out of here that I don't come back.
0: Mm.
1: And I'm looking at it going, okay, this is is all about the the attitude it takes. So if you think about it, the attitude it takes to to go through recovery successfully has to be a very positive attitude. Right. That's the same thing that somebody wants to hire you for. (laughs) So if you can show that. On the job, a company is going to hire you, and you're going to prove that to them. And th- there's another interesting element to this, and it's connected to some of the same projects I did. There was a, there was a large national company. They're not around anymore because the kind of industry shifted a little bit, but they were, they were fairly well-known at the time. And they did a study on what was the most successful characteristics of their best employees, same goal, let's hire more people like these ones that are successful. The finding was amazing. The number one factor that was the key to their most successful employees, they showed up. Yeah. <laughs> now, again, think about how that ties back to, to your work during the recovery stage when you're counseling them. What's, what's number? What's rule number one? Show up. Show up for meetings. Show up for group sessions. Show up. So if I can hire somebody that can prove to me they showed up, if I were interviewing people and I found out maybe because of a referral that it was somebody in treatment, I'd ask, tell me about your successful treatment.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Did you show up for meetings?
0: Yeah, and there are some people that are really... They're great at that. I mean, when we look at the setting I'm in now where attendance is a a regular thing and and we actually, you know, track their attendance with with coming to things and to appointments and getting medication, like all of that. There are some people that are really amazing at that. They don't miss at all, but they might not look at, you know, how great that is or how important that is. Yep, yep. But someone like at a job, a manager... (laughs) That's huge. I need, people, I, need, I need people to show up. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, the There's a lot that you could dive into on helping those in recovery and substance use history and incarceration history on everything from job interview skills to resume building, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to give some resources at the end to where they can look for some of those. But one of the ones you gave me when we talked about doing this episode was six reality checks. And after reviewing that, that's a, a great idea, I think, to provide the listeners with those six points that we're going to talk about right now. And more specifically in relation to someone who is in this position. So we have these six reality checks, and where, where did this idea come from with the six reality checks?
1: Uh, it came from uh, my long time uh, record of working with uh, job seekers and making presentations to job seekers, and being confronted by some of the attitudes that job seekers had. And having done that for years, having spoken to large groups of job seekers in certain settings, I started realizing that uh, job seekers need a reality check. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them have some attitudes that need to be confronted. Uh, And honestly, maybe it connected to my work on the substance abuse side saying, you know, there's a lot of attitude issues there. And it kind of like clicked, and I started saying, okay, there are some things. So I've actually, this was one article that I wrote a few years ago that talked about it, but I've actually done a couple of other things that kind of focus on the attitude part of it being critical, that there are some, I could write another article called The Myths the Job Seekers Have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did this list of reality check items.
0: No, I think I like that because it also speaks to in like the recovery aspect of it that we look at with even, you know, denial of things or, or blaming others. putting like, And sometimes you need that reality check of the situation that you're in. It doesn't mean that you can't do it or that you're not going to be able to, but it just means you need to have a, a clear understanding of what it is when you go in to apply for a job mm-hmm. or or what it means when they are hiring someone and especially when you have that history of substance use or incarceration or anything like that so we're going to go through the six points and use these to help you know listeners in regards to when they are applying for jobs or looking for jobs how does this help them in particular so number one is getting a job isn't easy Yep. (laughs) Getting a
1: job isn't easy. Um, People don't apply and get jobs every day. So from the job seeker standpoint, this is not something that that people know how to do. And yet, too many job seekers, a, a critical percentage of them, think that, And we'll take it outside of the recovery aspect for just a second. I've decided to leave my job after seven years and I'm just gonna go out and get another one tomorrow. But if you haven't created a resume, if you haven't practiced interviewing, if you haven't thought about what you need to do in other areas, depending on what your skills and background are, you're not prepared to do it. But we think it's easy. We think it's like, well, just I just need to fill out something online, and I'm going to get hired. It isn't. There's preparation that takes and in, that's involved in it.
0: And you just said it, and I didn't even think about this. So you brought it up. It reminds me a lot in the stages of change model, where someone goes to, I want to get a job, and they quickly jump to, I'm going to go get a job. In my world with this, it's like someone finally says, you know what, I want to stop drinking, so I'm going to stop drinking. But the stage that gets missed often, and I talk about this a lot, is the preparation stage. Is Are you prepared? Do you have all the resources? Do you know how to do this? Those things need to be explored before just hitting the ground running. Because I think some people eagerly want to go do something, like get a job, and then all of a sudden stop using, but they really aren't prepared for what that is to do that, or prepared for what it's going to be like then after you stop using, or after you hand in the application. So I I think you highlight a big part that preparation is probably ignored a lot.
1: Absolutely. If you think about it, and for somebody that's in recovery, what we really want to talk about. What do they know about how to answer questions in an interview? Are they prepared to do it? Because I can demonstrate pretty easily that most people aren't prepared to ask, to answer very well the most often asked question, (sighs) much less more sophisticated questions that somebody might ask them. So that preparation step, and you've tied it to change, which is great, is crit- is critical. And that's why getting a job is hard work.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not just the easiest thing that you think about. Ideally, like when maybe you were younger, you got a small local job, or you got a small job as a teenager in high school doing like this, but... You know, as you get older, as you have more stuff in your life, as more things are expected of you with like a history or some background with employment like that adds on to more of some of the challenges. And because they're going to have you're going to be interviewed a lot differently when you're 15 <laughs> at some small time job near you versus if you're 30 or, or older for a job that could be for a, a a big company or an organization,
1: absolutely. And you know, and somebody might say that today, if you if you look around, that everybody seems to be hiring. But there there's a fl- and there's some truth to that. But the flip side of that, and this is again something that I would say is really important for somebody that's that's coming out of recovery or in recovery looking for a job is, you don't want to get the wrong job. You don't want to walk down the street, walk in. Tell somebody that you're looking for a job, get hired, and have that turn out to be something that's not good for you. Right. You know, there's a job at the C B D store. <laughs> <laughs> Might not be a good idea. Right. You know. So it's it's a it's a it's a it's an yeah. issue that requires preparation and practice.
0: Because you can run the risk of just creating the similar pattern again. You you get the job you don't like or you don't want. Then you quit soon, or you, you get frustrated to where you make a poor decision at work. Yep. And now all of a sudden, you just have now another job with that didn't go well. You weren't there very long. you got to go through the whole process of finding another one, which we know is probably not going to be under a positive mindset. So you're just repeating history with that.
1: And you might re- increase the likelihood of relapsing. Right. Because now you're frustrated. Now you're depressed, whatever, whatever the dynamic is. It's a tough one.
0: Uh, I love this one. And this is definitely part of the straight shooter approach that I have with people is number two is nobody owes you a job or an interview. And I, I'm really love to talk about this one because I think sometimes there's a mentality that, you know, they fired me because of my substance use well, they should hire me because I'm sober. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's some entitlement there about because I'm sober, now I should be given the chance or now I'm. they should hire me. If they're going to discriminate against me because of my history, well, then I should get front of the line yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. for that. But what's, what's the reality behind that no one owes you a job or even an interview?
1: Well, the reality is that the, the company, almost any company, uh, in normal times, a little bit different than things are right now, but in normal times, a company has a job opening. And they may have a hundred, they may have a thousand people that apply for that job. <laughs> and you're one of a thousand so you put in your application and then you start going, well, well why didn't they hire me? I applied. <laughs> well, your odds were one in a hundred to begin with, and those weren't very good odds. Uh, so it does tie back to the practice thing, but it also ties directly to that attitude thing. And, and you nailed it beautifully for people saying, well, they fired me because I was using and now I'm not using, so they should hire me. They owe this to me in some way. And they don't
0: i think there's a part of that too that the the thinking i'm unique which happens a lot um i don't think that's just a substance use recovery type (laughs) thing i think that is just a a human (laughs) part of like we think we're unique or we think we're different now we are all different but when we think we're we're unique that's kind of like where that entitlement piece speaks in but why someone needs a job is not really unique so if someone goes, I, I, should get a, I deserve a job because I'm in recovery and I need this. Um, I, I deserve this job and I'm unique because I just got out of jail. And if I don't, I'm, I'm going to go back to prison if I don't get a job soon. Or I'm unique because I'm a single parent and I have to put food on my table. Your need for it is not unique in comparison to probably what like what can you do or or who you are that's going to come to this. They can't hire people just off of your unique why you need a job.
1: Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely because but, their side of it is what are you going to do for me? I need something done. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking yes. This job will hopefully help meet your needs. But my issue as an employer is I got a job that needs to be done. So, going back to what we said before, I need somebody that shows up. I need somebody that can wash dishes. I need somebody that can be a server. I need somebody that can handle phone calls, whatever it is. Right. I need somebody that can do the job. That's what I'm looking for. And that's I'm not the looking, unique
0: part. That's, yeah. what, that's what makes you different yeah. than someone who is in a similar position than you. Whether you're both in recovery, yeah. or you're both a single parent, or you're both have an incarceration history, it's what you can do, or what you can tell them about, or show them about. That's going to be what is the part that stands out. Yep. But everyone that's applying for a job all has those. You, you know why they think they need it more than the other yep yep <laughs> so I, I, I like that one a lot where I think that helps to people realize that you you being in recovery is not a reason why someone owes you a job or even an interview it's not about that part of it that makes you unique but it's about what you can do who you are your strengths your abilities your accomplishments that's going to actually shine more than anything.
1: There, there's another flip side to this that fits into it and relates to what you just said, and that's that it's not that somebody should feel they deserve the job. They need to earn the position. And that that goes back to everything else we've talked about in terms of preparation and things, is I'm not walking in and you should give this to me.
0: Is that the mindset, though? Like, yep. That is something that should change because that's what you hear a lot is people who are like, well, why don't they just give me a job or they should give me a job. Why won't this person just give me a job or or give me this? And I think that's the part of where it's like give. Like you're expecting them to give you something. Nope. Like you deserve it or you're entitled to it versus the idea of I need to earn this. Yes. So I think that's, a if, if people can change that mindset I think that's very helpful.
1: I think that's very important.
0: Yeah. Uh, number three, you aren't powerless, but it's close. Interesting, because one of the recovery principles is powerlessness over addiction. So I'm intrigued to know how this could tie into the part about the job stuff.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. Is that companies companies have got the power. They've got the power to choose, and under normal circumstances, and I think it's still true today, they have lots of people that are coming in saying, "Give me a job." Well, if that's what you come at me with, <laughs> I got the power to say, "I'm not going to give you a job." Right. What are you going to do for me? How are you going to earn it? And you give up,
0: you give up whatever you have too by just that. If that's your, is that if that's what you're hanging your balance on? to get a job, you're also giving up a lot of ability to do anything to earn it. Like yep. you're just kind of saying, well, here you go. And you're kind of waiting for them to do something with it. And with all that power, you, you didn't really give a lot for them to work with.
1: Absolutely. And and this, this goes back way too many years. But uh, when I was in my teen years, I went to the same store... Every day until I finally got a job. <laughs> I didn't hand in my application and say, call me when you have an opening. I was there every single day asking a manager for the job because I wanted a job. Right. I wanted to do it. And that that's when I talk to employers and I ask them to tell me about That worker looks really good. Tell me about why you hired him or her. That's the kind of story I'll get is she was she was persistent. She was calling. She didn't just turn in a resume or she didn't just apply online. She followed up. She sent a thank you note.
0: Yeah, I think that's this is tying into acceptance Mm -hmm. of, you know, letting go of things that you can't and being able to, to utilize the things that you can in yep. this type of situation pretty much is that yep. if you focus so much on what the other people are doing, the, the the organizations are doing, what they can and cannot do, if you're so focused on the power they have over you, you're really just kind of like dropping it off and saying, well, do what you want let me know. Mm-hmm. That's someone they're going to forget about. That's someone that they're not going to be like, yeah, we really want that person. So... This is a part in re- recovery that we talk about where the focus needs to be about what you can do. What's the difference that you can make? Whether that's the the preparation for it, that's the keep doing applications all the time, building your resume, like that. Are, that's the things that you can do. That yep. is in your power. There's a lot of things that are not in your power, but the more you focus on that you're not helping yourself out. We talk about that all the time.
1: Yep, and it sounds repetitive, but we're both saying it because it's so important and it keeps relating to all of these points. Preparation. You've got a resume is not something you throw together in 5 minutes and and expect it to be impactful. You you haven't been on the candidate side of being interviewed that often in your life. And nobody has, <laughs> except people that train people to do it. So how well are you prepared to answer questions that you're going to get asked in an interview? You know, And it's because it's such a tough dynamic, and that relates back to our first point, because there's another side of it here that relates to this attitude thing we're talking about, and that's the fact that the person who's interviewing you is also very likely not to be really well prepared at doing it. They don't do it that often either. And I say that from the perspective of somebody who's trained thousands of people to do it better, the vast majority is there are more bad interviews occurring within a few miles of us right now than there are good ones. So
0: Yeah, but that can help someone who if you come in prepared and you come in like you know, you're gonna you're you're gonna gain some attention or they're gonna be wild a little bit if you come in there almost like you're
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You can be prepared as a candidate to wow an inexperienced interviewer. And I I don't even mean that negatively because, you know, the manager of a small business or a restaurant down the block may not interview that frequently. Yeah, right. But your point is is dead Mm -hmm. on that
0: the more prepared you can be, you're going to stand out. Number four is, we kind of talked about this already, but you're, un- you're unique, but you're not. So we kind of touched upon it a little bit already, but what's the point where somebody realizes that I am I'm different, I'm a, my own individual, but once again, that doesn't entitle me to anything. So how do they make this one work? for highlighting that they are unique versus trying to show the places that they're not?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, it, I think it comes from a couple of additional things to what we talked about in terms of preparation and practice and resume. It comes from awareness of what your accomplishments are. And a lot of times, and I remember a lot of this working with students, but I think the, I think we can transfer it to the recovery piece as well. I think I think you might say that well, somebody that's coming from recovery, whatever the struggle was, doesn't think that they've had any accomplishments in their life. Absolutely. And yet, what I've always found is that's not true.
0: <laughs> yeah, they think my accomplishments, well, like I can show you my rap sheet. I can show yeah. you like what accomplishments I'm a drug addict. yeah, uh, what have I haven't accomplished, yeah anything. yeah, so a part of it is that guilt and shame, Hmm. so in a way, the uniqueness can be when it comes to entitlement can hold you back and and not help you out at all. but same point not believing in yourself, being wrapped up in guilt and shame that I haven't accomplished anything is not what we want you to do either. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance in between trying to figure that out.
1: And I I think it's important because I'd be tempted to play the card that says, well, think about the fact that your recovery is a significant accomplishment. And I think that's a valid point. But I also suspect That for most people, if you were to probe a little bit, you would find out that at some point, maybe in school, I don't know, maybe in a job for somebody that's, that's older, you know, when they hit it, they've had some accomplishments in their lives. But they're so buried by the shame and the guilt, as you mentioned, that they don't realize that. So we're kind of going back and hitting that nail again on preparation. But it's also self-examination to say what are your accomplishments? And when they say no, it's like oh, I'm not buying that. I got some other questions I want to ask you. What what is something that you did? You know, you had a you had a you worked at this company for five years before you lost that job or whatever. What was your biggest accomplishment in that job? Oh, oh yeah, I did have something I did. There is something I did that I was proud of.
0: And I think some people struggle with it is they believe that that accomplishments or strengths always has to stick to work related. Yeah, like it always has to be from a prior job or a previous job. And there's some people who their their work history is is not the greatest one bit. So they they look back and they go, what accomplishments at any work? I you know like or what is it that is a job related accomplishment? But that's not necessarily what you have to find. You can share accomplishments or strengths or successes from different parts of life. Mm-hmm. You don't have to answer just based off of a work accomplishment. Like, oh, I was employee of the month. and Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like 10 years ago. No. That isn't necessarily what you have to answer. But I think people initially believe that's what they have to pull out. And then when they don't have that... Then they just think, well, I don't have any. I don't have a good work story or a good work yeah. thing. So they can use other examples.
1: What are your accomplishments from school? What are your accomplishments from family? What about church? What about community? What about your neighborhood? I mean, I've heard, I've heard so many stories over the years, just like you've heard so many stories. I've heard stories of people that never really found what they wanted to do with their life from a job standpoint. So they never had a job they were really interested in or proud of. They just worked because they needed money to support their family. But they were amazing people in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Their their hobby, their carpentry or whatever, they were phenomenal at what they did. But it wasn't how they made a living. Correct. But those are accomplishments. Those are things that... Now, when you're faced with a new challenge of looking for a job, you can be aware of, you can use that. And it's, again, it's part of the preparation.
0: Number five is you're on a stage. And now this is a really important one. And I know part of the work you've done, which was the audition interview for your next job, observations on resumes, interviewing, networking, and more based on the performing arts was a really great piece of work. And I actually got to read that before you made it available. But you really emphasize that like, when you are at a job interview or you're walking in to even ask about a job, that right from like that get go, you have to like, realize that you are on a stage
1: absolutely well while we don't want to emphasize the still overemphasized use of first impressions they matter and if I'm working with somebody that I'm coaching from on the career issues I talk about you're going to be judged on first impressions whether that's right or wrong when you walk in the door to apply for a job or when you walk in for an interview, if you're late, I'm going to assume that if you're late for the interview, you're going to be late for work.
0: <laughs> yep, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm going to assume... One of the
0: first things they, they, I've noticed that, even in in my profession as a clinical supervisor and I've been a part of interviewing you know, people in, in places I've worked, is when you're not on time or when you don't show up at all. Like that's one of the first comments that comes out of a manager, directors yeah. is mouth is like, this is already a showing of what their attendance might be. Yeah. That, that's like automatic.
1: Yeah. It, the, the, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Yeah. So, so if, if it's, if it's related to attendance, if you're not, if you're not dressed appropriately, and that's a wide range of things. But in today's world, if I'm going to apply for a job at business X down the road, it takes me literally no time at all to find out the way people are dressed in that business. And I can adjust accordingly. So all of those things matter. But the, the bigger issue here, and it's why I did the research and had a lot of fun doing the research on the on the, uh interview audition for your job instead of interviewing for your job is I found out that in in the world of performing arts you don't get asked a lot of questions (laughs) it's not the traditional interview
0: Right. You got to show some (laughs) things. You got
1: to show you could do something. Right. Right. You got. You got to sing a song, or you got to dance, or you got to act. You got. You got to demonstrate that you can do the job. And there are actually a lot of companies that have learned that that's a pretty good way to find out if a prospective employee can do the job. Is let's give them a tryout. Right let's let's let them see how they
0: serve customers and if they don't serve customers very well they don't smile uh, we would do that we uh one of my former bosses was really good at during the interview they would do some like kind of role play yeah dry runs yeah without knowing policies and rules and anything like that they would just give a scenario about a client or a patient and then they would just say like what would you what would you do in this situation and some of them you know are kind of caught off guard because they're like well i don't know what 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 was your policy say and part of it isn't to ask you well you know our policies because you you don't know them yet right but we just want to know like how would you just respond right now what would your background with what you've done already what would you be showing us just by your response to this. In every
1: project I've done training thousands of managers how to hire, that's a critical question that I teach them to prepare and ask is give that candidate a scenario. If I and we can talk about this whether it's in a phone situation, we can talk about it in a fast food situation, if a customer comes up with their meal and complains that it wasn't prepared right, how would you respond? we could we yeah. can you can easily come up with scenarios for any job to see how a person would react. And as you said, which is very important, it's not that they understand the exact way we want it done in our business because that's a policy and procedure thing that's different. But it's how do they approach it? Do they think about it? What's the attitude? That,
0: right. Well,
1: I'd tell that customer <laughs> to forget about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you, oh, sorry, that's how it's made. Yeah, so yeah. Like, so, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry,
1: <laughs> tough luck. You know, guess they don't have a lot of customer service skills. Right. You, could, you can test for those things. So, everybody, one of the things I realized in doing the audition project was that in every situation, somebody coming in for an interview is really auditioning for a job. And if they make that mindset change, and you referred to that earlier, it's going to make a big difference in their being prepared to do it. You've got to, you've got to, and the other thing that's part of this, and it actually came from somebody that I worked with and part of that project, is somebody wrote an excellent article complaining about the fact that a lot of performers hate auditioning. And she came back and she wrote an article saying, you've got to love the audition. You've got to love that process. And I'll say the same thing about somebody looking for a job. If if And this is for somebody in recovery or, or not. If you tell me you hate applying for jobs, you hate interviewing for jobs, you're not going to be very successful doing right. it. you got to love it. you got to make up your mind and say, I'm
0: going to enjoy doing this. I'm going to learn how to do it, and I'm going to do it. Now, is that something that someone can kind of turn the tables in an interview by? Not every interviewer asks that scenario question no but if i'm applying for a job and they you know say hey do you have any questions that you want to ask wouldn't it be smart if i were to say hey can you give me like a typical scenario of a situation i would face here like ask them to paint a picture and then somehow use that to lead into showing what you would do. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I think that could be a way to turn the table on, an in, like giving you the, let me show you Absolutely. Like, what I could do in this situation.
1: Absolutely. One of the things that I've addressed that we could do a whole another session on is you're going to be asked bad questions. Here's how to give good answers <laughs> Yeah. to bad questions. Right. And it's really very simple because what you need to do is turn almost any question, into an opportunity to talk about something you've done that you want them to know about, whether it's one of your accomplishments or one of your strengths. You know, the number one question that's asked all time, tell me about yourself. (laughs) It's very interesting that one approach to that is that it's not that it's such a bad question it's that people don't know how to answer it very well <laughs> so they give some kind of a wandering answer and i turn that around and say well that's that's kind of easy to talk about because oh don't tell me about myself yeah i've been i've been uh, working in a number of different situations but in my last job my best accomplishment was and i i get to tell that scenario story right so it keeps coming back to that preparation and, and practice things. And that's that's one of the biggest messages that I got out of the uh, performance stuff with audition is that if you're a performer, you practice a lot. Well, that same
0: message can go to anybody that's looking for a job. I think part of that too is as a manager, and even like the performing arts I talk about is when they're looking for someone, like casting someone in this role, they don't just think about how this person looks to me, but they're also thinking about how this person comes across then in the eyes of a full-packed audience. Yep. Or someone at a, we use the fast food example, but this person, how they present themselves, they're going to be looking at customer. Customers are going to be seeing them mm-hmm. all the time. They're going to be the ones interacting with the customer. Yep. So it's not just what i'm seeing and not just what i might not like but it's just the fact too that organizations and companies have to think about their clients or their customers or their you know their population people that they are serving or providing a service to and they have to look at that this person they're hiring is going to be part of the face and representative of the organization absolutely so they're going to want someone that they want to put on stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think that's important to look at that. You don't have to like, you know, quote unquote be their puppet or, you know, jump through hoops for them just to entertain them. But you you are trying to to wow them with what you can do. So I think I, I really think that's a big one that's missing in some of the job interviewing stuff or what people do when they walk in. Just walking in saying, "Hey, are you hiring?" Or walking in saying, "Hey, where do I go to fill out an application?" Um, your your stage presence is not winning over that. They've seen that. They're yep. they're tired of that act. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's if you think about it, in so many jobs are service based now, and that's what's available for a lot of people. If you think about it. I'm probably looking for somebody who walks in the door and doesn't walk in and say, how do I apply for a job? I'm
0: looking for somebody who walks in and goes, hello, yeah. good morning. If you, if you are a really friendly greeter, yeah, that might really pay off Absolutely. if you are at a job where you might be greeting customers. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're at a hotel, if you're at anywhere where you might be yeah. greeting someone, if you greet that person in there. And there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of, as we're talking about this, you know, clients of mine, patients of mine over the years that, you know, when I see them and, and we greet one another, like there, there are things that stand out about them. Yeah. And there are ones that when I see them or we <laughs> greet them, they seem like they don't want to be there. or <laughs> and, and you yeah. just know yeah. like, well, what are they going to yeah. get out of it yeah. is not much, but the ones that do have that, they're probably going to get a lot out of it. Absolutely. Um, So I think that's a really, really good one. Number six, I don't have time is the worst excuse. I love this one too because (laughs) I I hear that so often when it it comes to why don't you start doing this or what about this and I don't have time for that, I, I can't do that. We're asking for 15 minutes, an hour, maybe. Um, we make time for plenty of things, but there are some things we ignore putting in the time and effort into. Yeah,
1: and it's. I think part of it may be I'm afraid to do this because I don't know how to do it. True. And, and I think the good news nowadays is there are resources available to help on any of this. So you can learn relatively easily, although there's some there's some sketchy information, and I should make that point at some point here, but there's a lot of information on how to do a resume. There's a lot of information on how to answer questions during an interview. There's a lot of questions on a lot of these dynamics. There's a lot of information out there on how to do that. Um, one of my favorite gurus who inspired me very early on in all of this and brought me in to do a lot of speeches on this said... There's a lot of information out there on interviewing and job hunting. 50% of it's wrong. (laughs) And actually,
0: 50-50 chance. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: actually the position I've taken, which we're going to talk about with the website that I created, was actually designed to counter that. I don't put out a lot of information. I put out some very controversial stuff. I say that resumes have to be done well. Uh, that there are a lot of lousy resumes out there. That there are a lot of there's a lot of interviewing advice that's bad. So I tend to give more narrow things like saying you'll be uh, you you'll be asked bad questions. <laughs> I'm honest about that with people. But the idea that you don't have to spend time doing this is I almost I want to say it's ridiculous. It's a cop out. Uh, and yes, one reason may be you don't feel prepared to do it. Okay, find ways to do that. Get someone that will help. There are a lot of people willing to help people find jobs, write resumes, do interview practice. There's a lot of that out there. The second reason I think goes back to something that we actually started early in our conversation today. And that's that that guilt dynamic that people are feeling I'm not worthy So this whole thing about getting a job doesn't fit into where I'm at right now. Um, And I I think we have to address that. And the other thing you said that I think fits perfectly with this is we're not talking about a graduate course in job seeking. We're talking about taking 15 minutes every couple days to look at your resume and see if you can improve it. Get someone else to look at your resume and give you some advice on it. Ask somebody to practice with you for 20 minutes on answering questions. How would, how would you answer that question, tell me about yourself? Get f- Practice that answer just a little bit. It doesn't really take that much time.
0: Yeah, I think that part of that ties into is I think there's also some hidden reservations where people are oh I'll do it when I have time or I'll do it when I don't have all this stuff going on. But like in that in that mindset there's always something like that. Like there is always mm-hmm. a well until I or uh-huh. when I and Tomorrow. That, yeah, that's <laughs> that's not, you know, um I'll do it when this runs out or I'll do it when And I see that a lot. I think that's a trap I see a lot when people get some time off and they think, um, you know what, I'm going to take a month off from working and then I'll um, start job searching after that month. Or I haven't had... I've been working since I was 13 years old and this is the first time I'm going to (laughs) have a little bit of time off. But in a lot of those cases, I see people they then all of a sudden go into you've been off too long. And then they find it harder to get back into it. Mm-hmm. And that's that continuing to push it off and push it off and you're not making the time to do those things you need to to get a job or even to do the work to get a different job. And even some people too, like they change careers, they and that's a that's a thing with people in recovery is that sometimes they gotta change their career because the career they were working in wasn't the best for them. So I've got plenty of people who were bartenders, Hey, alcoholic bartender. If you've done bartending your whole life and now you're trying to be sober. Unless there's some way you can really find a great atmosphere or environment or organization that can like support that and help out with that. You might have to leave bartending, mm-hmm. but, but how do you, do that then you got put in the time to find a new do do some career exploring yep um, all that kind of stuff that you've been a part of with exploring career interests and all that type of stuff that that takes time
1: and that goes back to all the things we've talked about it's not easy and it takes time but you have to do it and you just gave a, a perfect example of that where somebody uh, in recovery needs to make a major change well they've got to look at what are the thing? What did they... You know, and I'll, I'll use the bartending one because it's so real. What did they like about bartending? Well, bartending is interacting with people. Right. <laughs> and it's it's major on customer service skills. It's major on precision of learning how to make all that stuff.
0: Well, you know what? There's a lot of that same stuff in other jobs. You bring up a good point that there, depending on my rapport with a client or a patient, I, I can... I can call bullshit on things that they say and it doesn't offend them because that's, that's kind of how we are. And I think one of the things that I would call bullshit on is people will say, well, all I know how to do is bartend. All I know how to do is this. But you highlighted a, a really important point that, yes, maybe all you've done for a job is bartend. Like yes, maybe that's true. Like your whole history, since you started working, is just bartending jobs, bartending jobs, bartending jobs. But to say all you can do (laughs) is bartend, I'd call
1: bullshit on that. (laughs) Is
0: is bullshit because you can? There's a lot more that you can do. That is applied to a whole bunch of other areas, but you're only seeing it as this is like my occupation. This is this is my job. This is what I can do. But then you're like handicapping yourself you're kind of keeping yourself tied to just one thing yeah. so that's the only thing you can do the rest of your life now yeah. like no like you've got to be able to look at more than just what my occupation tells me I yeah. do
1: what did you like doing right about that job did you like those interactions with customers did you like helping customers that, that had their own problems I mean we know that Generally speaking, we have a stereotype that bartenders are counselors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not very good ones in many cases. The, the precision of, of keeping things clean. Right. You know, think about that in the environment today. All of that. Say, what did you enjoy doing about it? This gets back to those attitude things, those strengths things, that, and those things are transferable. There are hundreds of other jobs. That offer some of those same rewards that come from what somebody probably liked about bartending, separate from the alcohol.
0: And I think that ties into the, the point about the you're unique, but you're not. Yep. Because people going in and applying for a job, yeah, thousands of bartenders can go do that and say, well, I'm a bartender. Or I bartended. Yeah. That's not making you unique no that is not making you stand out from all the other bartenders yep. that are out there. So just relying on that as that I deserve a job because I'm a bartender It's not who you are <laughs> right it's, it's not that's yeah that's a that was an occupation you had yeah. and and' we're, we're glad that you've done that because this is what we are looking for, but that's not exactly who we're looking for right what we're looking for and sometimes who we're looking for are two different things. And you have Definitely. to highlight the who you are is more important than just the what I've done as I've been a bartender. Absolutely. So I know that's a lot of and I know in the substance use and recovery, you know, I'm just thinking of examples of where some people have been in, in incarcerated. They've done some, you know, things in their past. So when they think about You know, saying what I do, they might not want to share that. They're afraid to put that on stage. Yeah. But when you look behind it as to what was that and who were you and what were you capable of doing and and what did you show? What did you accomplish? What how were you able to do those types of things? That's what's gonna stand out more than just telling them this is what I did. Absolutely. So this is a the six Reality checks is available on your website, which has a little bit more depth to it, a little bit more talking points that you have put into it. So you, they can go to your websites to get more information and stuff like that. There is the hr-tracks.com, which is more about the workforce and the substance use research and stuff that you've done for quite a while. But the other big one they can go to is 212-careers.com for like resume information, job hunting, career building. Those are all things that they can go to and get help on this type of issue.
1: Lots of interesting lessons on various aspects of the job search and being prepared.
0: Right. So this topic today was a, a good one. To, I think, help a lot of people in in recovery and with some of their histories to feel more empowered with what they can control, understanding some of the things from the manager hiring perspective that you've brought. But you've also shown them a lot of ways in which they can put themselves on stage and they can get the job that they really want and they can apply for the ones that they are really hoping to get and not get caught up in this, I would say, just stigmatized view of people in recovery and show the more uniqueness that matters and not the entitlement that we sometimes rely on. So I wanna thank you for joining. I also wanna know that there's a lot of other topics that we could get into And talk about with the workforce, with, you know, mental health. We've talked about that a lot. There's other things with, you know, if I have mental health or if I have this, what do I do with things like employee assistant programs or probably another area that could be explored. So if there are ones that people want to know about or they think are important topics, send an email to talkingaddictionrecovery at gmail.com. Or leave comment comments on any of the posts that we have going on all week for this, but we want to know because I highly—it's a high likelihood that you will be back as a guest on the podcast, and
1: I would be happy to do
0: that. So thanks for joining. Thanks for bringing all that knowledge, background stories about the the work that you've done, but also to help with people in recovery and trying to make their life with finding work not just i need to do it but i think also more of a i want to enjoy and find something that i like doing not just go out and find a job because i have to
1: very important
0: so thanks for joining check out the websites go there and find out information and as always i hope you learned something